Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Thank you for joining me, and as always, it's great having you as part of this conversation that happens every week. The Love Code is all about spiritual transformation, healing, and becoming the best you that you can possibly be. And what else is there? And as always, if you are joining for the first time, please go over to my Facebook page, like me there at Cheryl Selman, or go to my website, DrCherylSelman.com, because either way, you will get the archives for The Love Code and the other program that I do on Progressive Radio Network called What Women Must Know every Thursday at 4 p.m. So either way... Whether you like me at Cheryl Selman or go to my website, DrCherylSelman.com, you'll be sure to get every single show, and you don't want to miss any of them because I have such stimulating and profound and uplifting and educational conversations, and really, that's what we need these days. We need to be inspired and uplifted and uh, to allow ourselves to have the best life possible, which brings me to my guest today because we are talking about creating your exceptional life with my guest from Australia, Marcus Pierce. And uh, it's, it's truly time to create our exceptional life, and that's also the title of Marcus's new book. So just let me share a little bit about Marcus before we jump into our conversation. Marcus Pierce is magnificently obsessed with helping people create their exceptional life. A former journalist, radio and television producer, Marcus is the creator of the Exceptional Life Blueprint and director of the Wellness Couch Podcast Network. A keynote speaker on exceptional life design, Marcus has delivered training to companies as big as the National Australian Bank down to local communities. Sectors including banking, health, wellness, and real estate trust Marcus to help their teams perform to exceptional standards. So if you are ready to create your exceptional life, you are tuning in to just the right show, just the right time. And it's my pleasure to welcome Marcus Pierce to the show today. So Marcus, hello to you and good day. Oh, g'day to you, Cheryl, and thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's a joy to be with you. My beautiful wife, Sarah, and I have been massive fans of your work over the years, and uh, I think I was telling you just the other day, we're moving house at the moment, and we have in pride of place in all of our, on, in our bookshelf, uh, Hormone <laughs> Heresy, uh, one of your greatest works, and so it's a joy to be with you today. We've been uh, big fans for a long time. Well, when we had our initial conversation, that just really made my day, Marcus. So I'm thrilled that you are holding on to the copy of Hormone Heresy, and it's one of those treasured books that you're not discarding as you're moving house and calling your collection. So it makes me feel really good. Well, definitely not. We do have an 11-year-old daughter who may be uh, reading that copy in uh, – the next few years, Cheryl. So that book's going nowhere, I can tell you that much. <laughs> uh, that's great, Marcus. So, so you know, it's great being able to have this time with you because you've just released this new book. And by the way, congratulations. I, I know how much work it takes to bring a book to life. So, um, so well done and congratulations on your new book, which is called Creating Your Exceptional Life. Um, so, Marcus, let's talk about that because – as I was thinking about our conversation today, 
it's such a, an interesting time for all of us on the planet, actually. We're in a lot of change. We're in a lot of upheaval. I think so many people are reevaluating who they are, what they want from life. And I think that this is a, such a good time to have this conversation about creating your exceptional life and be open to making the shifts and changes to move us into a, a new place of possibilities. So I, I always like to ask my guests when we have these conversations. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, yeah, it is an interesting time because I think so many of us are, um, we're thinking about everyone else at the moment and there's a, there's a lot of two-way judgment happening between what other people are doing and, and our ideals or thoughts and how other people should be living. But you're absolutely spot on. I think there's a lot of people that are now assessing how do they want to live their life and uh, whether it's in their work life or where they're living or who they're living with, the relationship that they're in, the quality of health they're prepared to stand for, uh, the quality of wealth they're prepared to stand for. There is a lot of questioning. And I think for many of us, if we feel like it's been the time to just survive and get through this period of time, that's that's 100% been okay. But I also think there's a time where people are beginning to go, okay, I actually really want more than just surviving through this and, and how do I write my life on my own terms as much as I can during um, such uncertain times. So I want to start by asking you, Marcus, you know, what, what, tell us a bit about your journey because you have made some profound transformations in your life that have taken you to um, greater possibilities of health and wealth and fulfillment, and we all have a journey. Tell us a bit about the journey that you have been on in your life that brought you to this place and that inspired you to put your programs together, the Exceptional Life Blueprint, which led to your new book. Well, I never grew up in a healthy household. I was like many Australians growing up on you know, Vegemite on white bread and rice bubbles and cocoa pops. And uh, for our American friends listening, um, what's the most popular cereal in America? Um, not Wheaties. Uh, what are they called? Anyway, I, I had the very typical Australian upbringing, what we call the SAD diet, which is a, the standard Australian diet, but I think we could also call it the standard American diet, just a lot of white flour. And I was a very happy child. I think a lot of people uh, don't ever um, bemoan or hold their parents accountable to the food they eat growing up. It's not a problem if you grew up eating junk food through your childhood if you get into health and wellness in your adulthood um, then I think that's something that's, that's fabulous but I was obsessed with sport growing up I thought I'd be a sports journalist a sports commentator work in um, the Olympic Games and that was really my plan for the first uh, seven to ten years of my professional life I, I, work, I studied journalism at university I became, uh, became a journalist in radio and tv and print and did Olympic Games and Commonwealth Games and a lot of Australian rules football. But I then fell in love, Cheryl, with a chiropractor, um, my, who's my, my now wife, Sarah. And when I met Sarah, I was a smoking, workaholic journalist, drinking Red Bull and having cigarettes three a day, I counted, which I was like, oh, that's fine, it's only three a day. And my beautiful wife, um, who, again, was my girlfriend at the time, was like, oh, you know, I'd be getting home from the TV show, the footy show at... 
three or four in the morning, smelling like cigarettes, and Sarah's like, look, I really love you, but this is a bit disgusting. And I was like, yeah, you're right, this is a bit <laughs> disgusting. And um, I started to do the math because I love my statistics in sport, and it was about three cigarettes a day, you know, 365 days a year. It's a bit over a 1,000 cigarettes a year. But really, I knew that I was probably smoking a packet on weekends, so let's just call it 2,000 cigarettes a year, and that was 20,000 cigarettes a decade. And when I really uh, propelled my life forward and I thought, I definitely want to have children and how, what type of role model do I want to be, um, you know, I had always loved personal growth, but I'd always skipped the health section because it was just so inconvenient to make adjustments to my health and particularly something like smoking. And then when I met Sarah, that was the big, um, I suppose, catalyst to prioritize my health. We did a lot of personal growth events together, uh, Tony Robbins events, Dr. John Martini events, uh, started listening to wonderful people, whether it was Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra. And I think like a lot of people in their 20s, you're learning on what type of life do you want to design and read your book, Hormone Heresy, and really just got into health and wellness. Um, and then went so far down that track of actually doing what a lot of people do and became a vegetarian and then became a vegan and then became a raging vegan and uh, to the point where I thought that veganism was the number one, uh, it was the fountain of youth, it was the number one pillar of longevity. I read um, a book by John Robbins called Healthy at 100. John Robbins, for those that don't know, is the or was the heir to the throne of Baskin Robbins ice cream. And he recognised after his uncle, uh, Bert Baskin, had died of a heart attack and his dad, Irv Robbins, had diabetes, he realised that overtaking the billion-dollar family empire was not his purpose in life. He ostracised himself from the family on purpose, took his girlfriend at the time and now wife, Theo, out to the backyard of Canada and sprinkled kale seeds and cabbage seeds and uh, taught meditation for gold coin donations. And really, he became a... Uh, a leader in the vegan world and um, as someone reading a book that wanted some uh, confirmation bias I'm reading the introduction of Healthy at 100 by vegan leader John Robbins and he refers to a study done by the Yale School of Public Health uh, on 600 people done over the course of 20 years and it asks these people questions such as as you age, you become less useful. Agree or disagree? As you age, you realise your best years are behind you. Agree or disagree? As you age, you become more of a burden on society. Agree or disagree? And what this study found was that the people that had a disempowered view of ageing, the people that thought they were a burden on society, the people that thought their best years were behind them, that belief, the people that had that belief, uh, they died seven and a half years earlier than people that had an empowered belief of their future, of ageing. And this was a major, major cataclysmic event. It was an epiphany in my world. I had a shiver go down my spine. I remember it like it was yesterday because this study did not measure their exercise. It did not measure their wealth. It did not measure their diet. It did not measure their family status, their genotype, um, their ancestry, their anything. It just measured their belief and what I realised at that time was how wrong I was in terms of what I thought longevity was all about. And that set me down the path to find out, well, what is 
um, an exceptional life all about. Um, men, we don't have a lot of mentors when it comes to aging well. What do older people think about living a great long life? And so I started a podcast, 100 Not Out, which is still running today with my great mate Damien Christoph. He was a meat eater, still is a meat eater, and he was convinced that being an omnivore was the secret to longevity. I was still convinced that being a vegan was the secret to longevity. But <laughs> after about 12 episodes of 100 Not Out, we were proven so wrong um, and we really identified three ingredients to longevity and they form part one of, of the book. And then um, I, I did enough research to define four ingredients for a great quality of life and then, and then put spirit around every single element of life to essentially create the exceptional life blueprint. Um, and that is the long-winded answer, Cheryl, as to how uh, it came to this point. But I think that level of context is important because... It's not a book that was just kind of um, made up along the way. It's not just a prescriptive book. It is, it is a book on, um, you know, 15 years of research and, you know, 200-plus interviews and um, every, every area of our life as a human being covered off because I don't believe there's one thing that creates an exceptional life. In fact, I probably believe that is the most dangerous way to live our life is to hope that our family will make us live long or our Work will make us live long. I think the ingredient uh, or the recipe of an exceptional life has eight ingredients, and we have to honor them all. Well, yeah, that's a great answer. And I just have to say, it, it, it obviously was such a blessing in your life to meet your wife, Sarah, who's a chiropractor, because having been dedicated to chiropractic treatment for over 50 years, <laughs> which kind of is a hint of how old I'm going to be coming. <laughs> um, yeah, I was a baby when I first, you know, <laughs> when I first chiropractic adjustment. But the fact that you, I mean, it is a blessing that you connected with Sarah and the principles of chiropractic, which are so aligned with this vitalism, which states basically that we have a vitality, we have an intelligence within us, and if we can just align with it, it allows us to heal and be transformed. So, you know, at that journey in your life early on, to be able to be connected to those principles, which I'm sure Sarah tried very hard to instill upon you, and finally was <laughs> successful, is life-changing. I think, Sarah, you know, like probably a lot of us that we would love uh, to have in our life is uh, she leads by example and she doesn't have to be a preacher as much as sometimes we all want to be at times. I think what I loved about Sarah was just she lived wellness. She lived that innate intelligence that you, re re that you refer to. She lived and continues to live vitality. And, you know, some people, probably my, my, my friends have often, you know, they thought, did Sarah twist your arm? And I was like, absolutely not. I think Sarah inspired me like any of us that, have had a great event in our life. You've really wanted to be inspired. Like inspiration is like a magnet, whereas motivation is like being pushed. And I was I was attracted to, I was magnetized to Sarah's wellness. And if you often think about, you know, any area of life that you want more of or that is missing, you know, Dr. John Demartini, again, a chiropractor by profession, speaks about our voids that create our values and. I'd probably been searching without really knowing it consciously for a leader to help me get healthy. Um, and it wasn't until I met my now wife to help me really value my health. Like I, 
I smoked for years and I loved it. Like I still, I still tell people like my smoking years were fabulous. I loved having a cigarette with my mum and talking about the day over a scotch and coke. And like many people that smoke, often cigarettes are a great source of connection, but they're not really healthy sources of connection. And often people that smoke are actually quite good at deep breathing, uh, but they just prefer to do it with a cigarette in their hand rather than with a cigarette not in their hand. Um, so we've just got to really, you know, um, understand our behaviour and be curious enough. I've always been so grateful that I am a journalist by profession because I'm a journalist in my mind. I'm curious by nature. I don't think I'm very judgmental. I love to be wrong because it's an opportunity to learn. Um, and I think Sarah has been a great vehicle for um, uh, poking my curiosity, which has been great for me and really been a, uh, an impetus for, for the book because it's just been that curiosity of wanting to learn about people and life um, you know, ever since I can remember. And I love the fact that you talk about that wonderful quality of curiosity because there's a there's a there's a quote that I have used in my work and my seminars that I think really is so profound and it, it goes something like this you know the most what's the question yet you know what is the most expensive thing you can own and the answer is people you know name you know all sorts of Teslas and you know, various other objects but the fact of the matter is the most expensive thing you can own is a closed mind and that has always wow. been so profound for me wow that's intense that's intense mm -hmm. as you say mm -hmm. that I'm writing it down and uh, yeah it's almost like the um, it's almost like the uh, what is it, the quiet lives of desperation that many people live or not living, you know, playing, what is it, don't die with the music inside of you, um, which is really, I suppose, a massive premise of the way I view the world is, you know, life is there for the living and, and how, you know, how dare we waste our humanity on not being open to learning new things and, uh, you know, if you think of the sacrifices that, uh, sacrifice is not a word that a lot of people like to use, but that many parents in the world made in order to bring a new life into this world, often we owe it just to life itself, to be curious and open and respectful and dignified in the way that we approach humanity. And I, I do have a bit of a belief at the moment that diversity is dead. You know, we talk about diversity so often with gender and race, but we never really talk about it with the mind. And with everything that's going on at the moment, with whether it's vaccination or mask wearing or... COVID this, like it's really a great opportunity to sit down and have dignified conversations with people that don't believe as you do and they are often some of the greatest conversations you will ever have and I dare say most major breakthroughs in anyone's life have been in dealing with the opposing belief that they have had in their own life. There is no such thing as um, only one side of the coin and you know I think if more of us can appreciate how good it is to you know read the book that you would never agree with instead of reading for confirmation bias or, or engage with the person that you're so different to or you know uh, watch the movie you'd never watch like go to the restaurant you'd never eat at like gee whiz often that's where a lot of the growth is and um uh you know sadly rightly wrongly not a lot of people live their life that way but i definitely think and my kind of mantra on this Cheryl is with love you know we're on the love code program I often say particularly to Sarah but I say it to people like I said babe like there's no fine print on the contract of love that's why we call it 
unconditional love. There are no conditions on the contract. So there is nothing that would ever threaten our relationship. There is nothing that would ever um, make our marriage not work. We would work through anything because there is no fine print on the contract that would make us not be together. And that's just my way of saying, no matter how diverse the experience we go through, there will always be love for each other. And I think um, many of us have rules in life, whether it's, you know, I will love you, but if this happens, like if you lose your job, which means you lose your financial security, or if you, if you cheat on me, or if you don't agree with me on how to eat or how to raise our children or where we live or how we live, then our relationship is under threat. You know, that's, they're, they're very tricky um, experiences to go through. I'm, a, I'm getting a bit ranty, Cheryl. I better go to the next question. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I think that what you are sharing in your exceptional life is um, is a plan, is an understanding of the components that really make for us to live fully. Yeah, live fully. And I think that really is our purpose of life. We're here to find a greater purpose and to find the path that can lead us to fulfill that. And as you said, you know, hierarchy, and we'll talk, well, not the hierarchy, but the plan. We're going to talk about those steps. But the most pervasive part is spirit, which means that we are here to be connected to that place of unconditional love and to uh, address it in all facets of our life. And, and, you know, when you when you made that decision, which was not an easy decision to give up smoking, because, as we know, nicotine is more addictive than heroin. It's a really tough drug to release and withdraw from. But it was because you arrived at a place where you were giving yourself that unconditional love. You had arrived at a place where you were willing to give yourself that amount of love that you would do whatever it took to allow yourself to feel the potential and to love your body totally. And I really respect that journey you've been on because it is a total expression of that degree of unconditional love for yourself, right? And and going through whatever you need to go through in the withdrawal process uh, to get there, to really love your physical. So let's just jump in, Marcus, and talk about those components that you have beautifully written about in your book for creating an exceptional life. Yeah, absolutely. And just on what you said there, because I don't get to talk about this very often, uh, uh, so I just want to say this because it doesn't come up in, in most interviews that I do, is you are 100% correct. Love was what uh, allowed it allowed me to quit smoking. And again, as someone that's written a book on hormones, you know, the hormone of love is really what um, allowed me to quit smoking. Uh, because people often talk about saying you have to have a big why in why you would quit smoking, or you have to know why you will make any big decision in your life, why you would get married, why you would take that job, move house, build a home, sell a home, whatever. You have to know why you're doing it. Well, I think. If anyone here has a bad habit, whether it's smoking or alcohol or some form of recreational drug or any habit uh, that they feel is um, taking control of them, I don't think there's any greater force or power than love. And that might be self-love. Mine very much felt uh, a love and admiration for my relationship with Sarah. But 
deeper than that was was probably a, a self-love that I had to engender. But I do think, Cheryl, since you raised it, I just think it's so important that people own it, that um, I know it sounds corny, but it's 100% true. Let love be the hormone uh, that allows you to, or the hormone of love that allows you to um, quit that bad habit. All right, I'll carry on to these eight ingredients. Um, there are three ingredients for longevity in all of my research that allow someone to live an exceptional life, and that is our purpose in life, which to simplify it is our work, and that can be our work as a, a full-time or stay-at-home parent. That could be our work as an accountant, a cleaner, a lawyer, um, someone that is washing cars, selling cars, making cars. It doesn't matter. But the key is loving what you do and doing what you love. Um, and second to that is being a human being and not just a human doing. That seems to be the number one ingredient for longevity. Um, second to that is movement. And well, I always thought that nutrition would be more important than movement, but Bruce Lipton said it fabulously in uh, The Biology of Belief. Movement is life. And I cannot find a 100-year-old vegan that has been vegan since they were born. And sadly, uh, a lot of diet experts have died prematurely, whether it's Pritikin of the Pritikin diet who committed suicide after finding out he had cancer at age 69, whether it was Adele Davis, who was an American nutritionist um, who also died of cancer, um, if it was Michael Montagnac who had prostate cancer and died at 66, he was a creator of the South Beach diet, Robert Atkins uh, died age 72, of a heart attack, um, movement is far more pivotal to longevity, not talking quality of life here, to longevity than nutrition. And then the third ingredient to longevity is an active social life. And we see a lot of people when they retire from their work and if their social life was wrapped up in their working life, they lose their social life at the same time. And many people talk about the two most dangerous or volatile years of life being the year that you're born and the year that you retire. For a lot of people, they lose their longevity uh, the year that they retire if they haven't set up a social network around them. So they're the three ingredients for longevity. Do you want me to continue on into quality or do you want to have a little debrief on those three? Well, yeah, let's just uh, take a moment because you actually went and did research on this whole uh, understanding of the role of social life and community and purpose to understand the you know by being intimately involved with uh, you know a community of people that are living these values can we talk about that yeah sure yeah so for people that love the research there's about 140 footnotes in this book and a lot of the research is either from uh interviews i've done with people that i call the exceptionals um on my on the podcast 100 not out or people that i've just read about or learnt about or engaged and then there's obviously a lot of scientific research in there as well but um, I do feature in the book uh, society uh, called Rosetto but I also talk about uh, that's Rosetto Pennsylvania which was featured in Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers and was also featured in an Italian American TV series yeah, called the Italian Americans I also do feature the Blue Zones research a lot which was officially done by Dan Butner and National Geographic um, each year uh, pandemics pending I go to a little Greek blue zone called Ikaria. It's a little Greek island which is near the island of Samos and, and actually closer to Turkey. Um, but Ikaria is one of five blue zones, uh, Sardinia being another one, Loma Linda in California being a third, uh, Okinawa in Japan and also um, uh, Nicoya in Costa Rica. 
But these communities have smaller populations, except so much for Loma Linda, um, and a lot of them are coastal. But it's the way that they live and their uh, priority for engaging with their community and loving where they live and having a, a pride and almost a local patriotism that when I talk to a lot of people, um, they don't necessarily love where they live. And I speak about community and community comes from the French word communité, which comes from the Latin word communitas, which trans translated means public spirit. And I ask people like, what is the public spirit of where you live? And, you know, I know, Cheryl, you live up, you know, on the sunny coast near our, our mutual friend Cindy O'Meara and Kim Morrison. And, you know, Cindy in particular, she just loves the Sunshine Coast. She is just so engaged in that community. She's swimming in the ocean every year. She's engaging with local council. She's telling everyone about the Sunshine Coast. She's got a farm on the Sunshine Coast. She supports her local community as much as she can. Like, she's always talking about the Sunshine Coast. I live in the Byron Shire. I love my community. I'm caring for my local community as best as I can, supporting local you know, if you don't love where you live and you don't necessarily love your neighbours and you're not really a massive fan of working in your local community and, you know, you don't really care to support your local community, these are pretty big factors in life because they live with you forever. And um, what we know is, is that people that love where they live and have an average diet live longer and better lives than people that have the perfect diet but don't love where they live. And that's that's research straight out of Harvard. Um, and I think these types of studies are absolutely fascinating because you can't stick a needle in your arm and go, oh, I can tell you've got a great social life. But we can stick a needle in your arm and go, well, we can tell you don't have much iron uh, fluctuating throughout your body at the moment. Um, but wouldn't it be interesting, you know, if we did a really good audit on our social life and gave that the respect it deserves in order to create the longevity and, and quality of life that many of us crave? Yeah, that's so interesting. I've actually been to Nicoya in Costa Rica. I've spent the last five uh -huh. years, I've gone to Costa Rica twice a year, and I was teaching down there and, and uh, participating in various programs. And the um, the motto for Costa Rica is pura, pura Vida, Pura Vida, Pure Life. It is everywhere, Marcus. People, you know, you ask how you're doing, how you know, how's life. Pura Vida is the answer. You see signs of Pura Vida. People have it on their T-shirts. It's like Pura Vida is the the branding. It's actually the branding of Costa Rica, but it's not just words. People who live there love the lifestyle. They love their country. They love the beauty. They have a great admiration and respect for the land and for the the, the, the natural uh, environment and the resources. And it's just, it's an interesting experience to go to a place like Costa Rica, which by the way, does not have an army. They they disbanded their army so they could take the money and put it into health care for their country. And uh, Pura Vida is the motto. And I'm sure that it contributes to why there is that blue zone element of Costa Rica. I couldn't agree with you more. And isn't it interesting that one of the few countries without an army and uh, almost like a national mantra uh, of Pure Vida um, is 
one of the most fulfilled and long-lived um, countries. And like anything, you know, I always like to remind people that none of these places are perfect. Uh, they are not Shangri-Las and Nirvanas of longevity where everything is just next level. But when you go to these places, and as you've been to you've been to Nicoya, Costa Rica, and I've been to Ikaria, you go there, and I'm sure you'd agree, Cheryl. Like you feel like you're going back what would probably be 50 years or maybe 100 years in time. I know in Ikaria there's not one supermarket. There's not one place that has a brand. Um, There are no big multinationals there. Um, People don't rate cars. They prefer to walk 45 minutes to a neighbour than, you know, um, drive there. You know, all meals are had together. They've got sacred um, values around alcohol consumption where they would only ever drink with someone and they would only eat whilst they drink and they would never drink on an empty stomach um you know they would always dance and tell jokes and they'd be politically incorrect and they'd have great pride in their community and their surroundings and and many of these things are kind of like the things that our parents or grandparents may have told us when we were eight or ten years of age and we're like oh yeah whatever nana but you get a bit older and you think far out (laughs) these are sacred values and virtues of life that many of us dearly want if we were to be 100% honest but equally many of us actually don't know how to cultivate it or um, even more sadly we may even think it's impossible to cultivate given the environment that we live in right now. You know I was just thinking that Marcus this is such a timely message because our communities are getting very fractured in fact, someone just told me today that a really good friend is canceling canceling the friendship because she doesn't believe in the same way. <laughs> canceling a friendship that has existed for years, right? I never so, knew there was a cancel I, button on a friendship. <laughs> there oh, yeah. obviously is. It's It's been hidden, but it's out in the open now. And, and, and that wasn't the first conversation I've had of that of that thing, you know, that, that's because of political views or, or health choices, people are canceling each other out. And these are communities and families that are being fractured because of the situation, which is, if we look at it from everything you've been sharing, it's one of the most harmful things we could be doing to our health and our longevity. I couldn't agree with you more, Cheryl, and these stories are sad, and I think, you know, we've already spoken earlier about unconditional love. What happens when people hit the cancel button is they're showing that they have conditions on the contract that uh, they may never have communicated to to that individual, and um, and sometimes we felt like we didn't need to, but I would actually just, you know, pre- prefer to recognise that all of us in family relationships, friend relationships, and professional relationships we do things that are so different and disagreeable to our friends and family, but we love our friends and family anyway for the fact that, you know, one might be an employee and the other might be an employer. You know, one might be vegan and the other one, you know, eats meat. One might drive, you know, a Mercedes and the other one uh, doesn't and would actually never spend that much money on a car. But we all still get along and we love each other anyway. Um, I do think these times are challenging our own, challenging us as individuals rather than pointing the finger out, challenging us as individuals like, how unconditional am I as a human being? Because really, uh, the most, uh, 
you know, our sage grandfathers and grandmothers would love us unconditionally. And honestly, that means no matter what you do, what you say and how you behave, I love you. I might not like that behavior, but I love you, the human being. And in these times, whether it's you're vaccinated or you wear a mask or you're not vaccinated or you don't agree with this or you vote for that political party or you agree with this policy or not, those are beliefs. But I don't think it's a really wholesome behaviour to um, cancel friendships based on belief. It's, it's, it's completely okay, I think, to not engage in conversations where we know there's not going to be a happy ending. I often used to tell people when I was vegan or when, you know, you often, there's a bit of a joke, you always know a vegan within 30 seconds of meeting them because they'll tell you in some way, shape or form. If anyone ever asked me about why I was a vegan, and I'm not a vegan anymore for anyone that, that cares, but when I, would, when I was asked, I'd often say, look, do you really want to have the conversation? Because by the end of the conversation, you're probably not going to think any more or less of me. You're probably still going to think I'm a, you know, a weirdo for want of a better term. Um, and are you really just get doing this for kicks? Because really, a lot of people in conversations are never going to change their mind unless they are genuinely curious and they, they seek to understand why someone might behave a certain way. But sadly, and again, I say this as someone that worked in the mass media for many years, we're set up as consumers to not have independent thinking. We are set up to believe the headline and not really go too far down past the headline and to become little puppets of beliefs that aren't necessarily ours, but we've almost been indoctrinated to believe them um, just based on what we read or, or watch or listen to on the news. So I do think we need to be very careful about our social behaviour and, and have some independent thought on why do I believe this and am I okay for my fellow human beings to express their diversity? Am I okay that someone prefers a BMW and I prefer a Mercedes? Am I okay that someone likes sweet potato and I love white potato? Am I okay that someone likes lamb and I have veal, but they think I'm killing baby cows that I love veal? Like, am I okay? It's really a question of our diversity and our unconditional love for each other. And it's a question that will be challenged, you know, as long as we live. But it's probably one that's being challenged more than ever uh, right now. And we have to put that in the framework of operating with those thoughts of separation and uh, judgment are directly affecting our health and our longevity potential. So it comes well, hate is a disease, right? Hate is corrosive. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's not just being you know socially aware. It's it's impacting our very selves. Those those choices. And those behaviors are directly affecting us as we're talking about these keys to exceptionalizing longevity. So let's go. Let's move along. So let's go to your exceptional quality of life categories. Absolutely. So, yeah, part one, longevity, movement. Oh, part one, longevity is uh, life purpose, movement, and social. And then part two is quality of life because who wants to live to 100 or 110 and not have the quality of life that goes with it. Most people uh, using Australian figures have a pretty average last decade of life. In Australia, which is fourth on the ladder for longevity, our life expectancy is 83 in Australia. And I, I urge anyone 
whether you're in, in America or Canada or New Zealand or England, to, um, is to look at your Wikipedia list of life expectancy uh, in the country that you live in um, and look at, look at it. So in Australia, we're fourth for longevity, which a lot of people go, wow, that's amazing, 83 years. But we plummet down the ladder to 15th for quality of life. So we have on average 72 great years. And then there's a diagnosis um, or a, a lowered quality of life. We average, you know, 10 to 12, you know, medications and we can't do the things that we used to and we have a lowered quality of life uh, for 11 years. Now, I don't think anyone wants that. I would much rather get hit by a truck tomorrow than have 10 years of lowered quality of life um, I would rather, as my mum says, if anything happens to me, stick a pillow over my face. I don't want to sit in a nursing home for 10 years. Um, most people are like that. Not everyone. I think there is a, a school of belief that is like, keep people alive no matter what. Um, but I do believe that most people want quality in their quantity of life. So the ingredients for quality of life is definitely nutrition number one. Because if you think of anything... When you eat well, you've got an energy and a zest that means you can um, be present with people, whether that's present in a meeting, present with your children, present with yourself, uh, whether it's in sport, you're going to recover better, whether it's just in daily life, you're going to have more zest uh, and energy. If you don't, you know, the mediocre consequence of poor uh, nutrition is disease. We know that 33% of cancer and 33% um, uh, 33% of cancer and 33% of diabetes comes from uh, obesity, and you do not get obesity uh, from the best diet ever. Um, it is obviously a combination there of a poor diet and poor movement, but that's 100% preventable. You know, poor diet um, is 100% preventable, and we know that energy is something that we can create. The second quality of life enhancer is our family life. Now, when you've got great birthdays and great Christmas days and great social events with your family, life just feels more fun. You're not dreading those occasions. What we do know is family doesn't come first for longevity. As uh, many people say, family comes first, family comes first. It does not come first for longevity. Um, I'm a great fan of Victor Hugo's artistic work. He wrote Les Mis, or Les Miserables, for people that have seen the play or read the book or watched the movie. Victor Hugo had five children and buried four of them. Um, I cannot think of a worse nightmare. I have four kids myself. Um, he buried four children and he doubled the life expectancy of French people at the time. He died at 83 when life expectancy was 42 in France. This is back in the 1800s. So we know that family doesn't come first for longevity, but we do know it's a really great ingredient for quality of life. The five relationships that I talk about in the book are your parents, your grandparents, uh, your spouse uh, and your um, siblings. Your siblings is your longest living relationship and then below you if you have them is your children so if you can master those five dynamics there, there are many more whether it's steps and cousins and in-laws and the rest but those five are the ones i feature in the book uh, third ingredient for quality of life is your growth when you've got great growth in your life you yield wonderful enthusiasm if you don't don't have great growth you end up being bored so by growth i'm talking about are you learning what you love to learn whether it's languages whether it's music whether it's artistic expressions, whether it's in the play, whether it's painting, whether it's anything that makes you curious and you want to learn more of. For me, it's French and the piano. They are my two things that I just love to learn. Um, everyone has different things. For, them, for some people, it's surfing. For others, it's darts. For others, it's dancing. It doesn't matter. Um, 
hobbies, inspired hobbies are just a wonderful thing. Um, many of us feel like they're an indulgence. I, I, I couldn't disagree with you more, but society has told us that our hobbies are things that come at the bottom of the list. Um, wealth is the fourth quality of life enhancer. Now, many people think that when I draw this, it's at the top of the mountain, but it's actually just the smallest piece of the puzzle. Um, really, wealth is great for quality of life. It gives you choice um, on so many levels, and it does allow wonderful freedoms. And as I tell everyone in my own Byron Shire, you know, this Shire is the most expensive Shire in the whole country. So you better get over your money issues quick smart because we laugh about the Byron tax in Australia in our shire but you know in Australia as a whole it's expensive to live so you want to be able to work uh, well and earn good money however you want to earn it just do it well and add value to society but we're not living in Bali you can't earn Bali dollars in Australia you end up living in relative poverty and what I remind people uh, in Australia and, and in any country find out what your uh, pension number is because in Australia if you have a vision to live on the pension then you have a vision to retire on in relative poverty because when you do the maths and you look at poverty as a calculation of median income and again all the numbers are in the book but when you find out what the median income is of your uh, country of that you live in and then you um, you you do the calculations and you get a percentage of your median income and you find out what your pension uh, payout is you may be having a goal to live in relative poverty and you don't want that you don't want to live in poverty in the country that you live in so so nutrition wealth uh, sorry nutrition family growth and wealth are the four major ingredients for quality of life and if you can master them with the preceding three and longevity of life um you're a long way there cheryl mm -hmm. right right um you know all, all specific components of this balanced and integrated existence <laughs> in, in this physical form. But there's one critical piece that we're going to talk about that really is fundamental to creating a truly exceptional life. So let's talk about spirit. Absolutely, and I couldn't um, help but put a big circle around all of these areas of life and say that if you don't put your spirit, your heart and soul into your life purpose, whether that's raising children, whether that's working every day in, a, in an office job, whether you're working regenerating forests, whether you're working to be a professional surfer, if you don't put your heart and soul into whatever your life purpose is at the moment, um, it's just going to feel menial. You're going to feel like you're on a treadmill. You're not going to feel like you're, you've got a lot of um, inspiration for your work. If you don't put your life purpose into your movement, or sorry, your, your spirit into your movement, your social life, your nutrition, your family, your growth and your wealth, they will all feel like one big to-do list. But then if you don't put your spirit into your belief systems about the world. So I talk about, you know, um, it's a Jim Rohn uh, line and it's, it's uh, we all live in a conflict of opposites and we are stuck in the middle. So thinking about this for, in terms of happiness and sadness, you know, you can't try and live a life where you're always happy and never sad. Love and hate. You can't love all the time and not have hate. Um, that hate is there to recognize what you're not willing to stand for. But once you can actually recognize that and actually see what that does for you from a worldview, then you can truly, truly live um, in a way that makes you a better person. So whether you go, you know what, the traffic, I hate the traffic, it makes me angry. Well, you know what, 
maybe the traffic is allowing you to find a bit more patience and being able to... I always love the Wayne Dye line. I'm sure you remember this, Cheryl, but Wayne Dye would always talk about, you know, why is it that when you're in a rush, you've always got that really slow driver in front of you? Well, maybe that really slow driver, um, which you're so hateful towards at that time, is actually stopping you from having a car accident. So things that you hate in life are actually there to help you grow in a certain way. Um, whether that's a political leader in your country and they're actually um, challenging you to have more unconditional love in your life. Sickness and health. You know, I often talk about to my wellness friends that there is no wellness industry without sickness, you know, because people often come to the wellness practitioner when they're sick. Um, it's really important, which is still an expression of wellness, but let's be really mindful of that. Birth and death, you know, we can't just love birth and hate death. You know, there is a grace to death and, and we've all probably seen that. We've all seen that um, rhyme or that passage before called the dash. You know, that our life is the dash between the birth date and the death date. So we are stuck in the middle of birth and death. War and peace, poverty and wealth. There are so many uh, opposites that we have to live through every single day. And when we can recognize that the spirit has no limits, that if we can live through all these experiences of happiness and sadness and birth and death and poverty and wealth, um, and that our spirit is always there guiding us, then we truly can um, recognize that we are limitless souls. Um, we are absolutely limitless souls. And, and I think when we can own that, life does become a lot... Um, it's easier to live. The word I'm not quite sure, but... I think if we can recognize that just putting everything into spirit is not the way to do it. Again, living in the Byron Shire here in Australia is very much renowned for being the place of where people come to find themselves. But I often laugh that people are here to find themselves, but they've got three cars which they haven't paid their rego in. They might have three marriages which they haven't done the paperwork for and the divorce. They've got four children to three parents and they can't keep up with that. And like, we can't just be all spirit and, and no life and we can't just be all work and no spirit and we can't just be all family and no wealth. Like we have to find, and I think spirit actually is a really good glue to all of the, these other areas of life if we're prepared to do the work to um, see it that way and, in, and, and I suppose I've infused our spirit into each of those preceding seven areas of life. Wow. Well, we've covered so much great information and thought-provoking topics here, Marcus, in the time we've had. It's, um, it's, it's wonderful because uh, I think if we really want to understand how to live the best we can live in the time we're here, in, you know, in the dash, <laughs> uh, we, we need to have a, a roadmap that we can follow. Otherwise, we just don't know why we do what we do, and we don't want to be operating with that belief system because it is not a life-enhancing thought. We need to understand the roadmap that we're on and how to fulfill it. And, you know, one of the things that I've been learning lately is that one of the greatest qualities we can develop or perceptions, whatever we want to call it, or maybe it's a state of consciousness, is the ability to accept what is. This is what is. This is what life is presenting. How can I stay centered 
and present as I move through circumstances. And I've had my own challenging circumstances in the last couple of years that have thrown me into total chaos uh, and the unknown and fear. And I had to embody that 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 quality of trusting this is what is I will work my way through it I will be given what I need I will find the support to help me through that journey and you know I I hear through everything you've been sharing it's learning how to do that how to embrace what is and to really acknowledge the areas that we need to uh, develop or pay attention to and bring greater wholeness into our life. And I just want to thank you, Marcus, because I think you've done an exceptional job in writing and bringing forth these concepts in your book, Your Exceptional Life, the subtitle of which is Make the Rest of Your Life the Best of Your Life. I love that. And it's an engaging read, and I just think you've been superb at putting these thoughts together. So if people want to learn more about you and to absolutely get a copy of your book, we can send them over to your website, right, marcuspierce.com.au. And um, what else would you like to say before we kind of wind up this wonderful conversation, Marcus? Oh, well, firstly, I want to say thank you to you, Cheryl. You've been, um, as I said to you at the beginning, you know, you have been a real, and, and authors never hear this enough because we read a book and then we go, that was a great book, but you really have been a pivotal part of our adventure um, over our own wellness adventure in our family, and, and you will continue to be. And I just probably want to say thank you to you because it's people like you, Cheryl, that allow people like me to write books like this. I featured 64 people in the book, which I call The Exceptionals. I could have featured 2,064, um, but it's because of people's willingness to share their wisdom of life. And as I've, as I've said many times you know, throughout the book, this isn't, this isn't my book. It's the book of The Exceptionals. It's the book of the people that have lived their lives and shared their wisdom um, throughout the course of you know, interviews I've done with Holocaust survivors or people that have been uh, through major challenges, whether they're um, you know, nuns that are running Iron Man, Iron Woman triathlons or whether they're health professionals or whether they're vegans or whether they're climbing mountains or whether they're retired dentists that are running 200 metres faster than any other 95-year-old in the world. These are people that are prepared to share their stories of um, an exceptional life and you know the book really is is thanks to people like you and I think for all of us we do learn so well through stories um, I'm not one to go too hard on the hard-hitting science because as I said you can't stick a needle in someone's arm and, and acknowledge how exceptional um, their life has been uh, but I do want people to know that whatever position you're in in life right now, you can make the rest of your life the best of your life. And that does come down to a decision um, and a belief system. It's not the vegan diet, which I thought it was many, many years ago. It is a belief that any of us must adopt in order to create our exceptional life. And yes, I've put a, a pathway uh, in the book in order to do that, uh, which I believe anyone can do, but I couldn't have done it without the wisdom um, and the, and the um, generosity of such a diverse range of people um, that I've shared their story in the book. Fantastic. And people want, uh, if they want to learn more about you, just go to Marcus's website, which is marcuspierce.com.au to order his book, 
Creating Your Exceptional Life, to learn about his programs, and uh, all the other wonderful things that Marcus is doing. So, Marcus, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure, and you are totally inspirational. So I am so grateful for our time today. Oh, thank you so much, Cheryl. And, you know, to all of the listeners who may not be in Australia, um, the book is available on all of the big websites. So I know you've got a large following in America and the Northern Hemisphere. So uh, if people don't want to pay the shipping to come from Australia, which they, again, don't have to, they can get the audio book or the e-book. Now, I did read the audio book myself because I think, you know, they wanted the accents from an Australian author, Cheryl, so I put them in there. But if people prefer an (laughs) audio book or an e-book or or just a book printed um, in their local area, it can be done from anywhere um, on the planet, which I think we're all grateful for these days. So, yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Cheryl. I've loved this conversation. And, yeah, as I said, I, I really appreciate the work you do for humanity. Thank you, Marcus. And and to all of you listening, thank you once again. I hope you'll be visiting A Love Code every week. And until then, remember to fill your week with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.